last week marked a very special kind of anniversary for me. Being a Melbourneian, I have now clocked up over 200 days in lockdown. And right now, half of my country, Australia, is in lockdown. And look, for most of those 200 days, I feel like I've coped pretty well. I've been grateful for the things that I do have, and I've focused on the things that are within my control. But last week, it really felt like a lot. I I just didn't feel like myself, and people close to me were really struggling too. And I was just sick of hearing the same old advice for how to cope. Learn a new skill, create a ritual, lower your expectations, and so on. And look, they're all great pieces of advice, but right now, they weren't really helping. So I reached out to someone I knew would be thinking differently, Dom Price. Dom is the head of R&D and the resident work futurist at Atlassian, and he's a friend of mine and a friend of the podcast. Dom and I decided that we would swap our best tips. So in preparation for this interview, I racked my brain for the things that I had done that did make me feel better, but didn't fall into being a cook some sourdough cliche. So if you're struggling with lockdown or maybe just everything that's going on in the world right now, I hope that you'll be able to take at least one thing out of this chat to help make things a tiny bit better right now. My name is Dr. Amantha Imber. I'm an organizational psychologist and the founder of behavioral science consultancy Inventium. And this is How I Work, a show about how to help you do your best work. We're recording this at 11am on a Friday. We're both in lockdown. I'm in Melbourne, you're in Sydney. And I haven't checked the news since Wednesday afternoon. (laughs) Does that blow your mind? No, I think it's very healthy. (laughs) Because I found, like, I never used to be a news checker pre-COVID, that during COVID, and particularly since Melbourne's been in and out of lockdown for the last few weeks slash months, I found myself, I reckon, checking either The Age or ABC, I reckon maybe like 10 to 15 times a day. Yeah. And that is a lot. And I sort of got to a point mid this week where I was feeling very flat. So I thought, okay, I just, I need to not be checking the news. And I figure that if something really important happens, that somebody will tell me. And I imagine you would know Jake Knapp from um, Design Sprints. Yes. He shared with me this great tip about a year ago called News Duty, where he and his wife would basically tag team on who was going to be looking at the news on any given day. (laughs) And I love that. So I kind of, my parents, I feel like they do news duty for me every day. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that that is something that I'm doing and I feel like it's just it's breaking my cycle of having the news determine my mood. Right. So that, that's that's the why then. So the, 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 the news was determining your mood and you wanted to break that cycle. Exactly. I like that one. That's a good one. Very, very, very practical. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. Tell me something you're doing. Um, so one of the things I'm actually doing is um, it's more on the kind of work, work side, but I, I found myself in this kind of cycle of insanity at work where where things were getting bigger longer more but but there didn't seem to be a break point and similar to you I was looking for the break point one of the things I, I did for myself and then with my team um, was the ritual reset and, and it's just been great to kind of go like we have all these these interventions where we we kind of 
think about doing a spring clean, right? You think about like seasons and you, you, you change your wardrobe and you do a spring clean. That's like, what's the spring clean for my life? And specifically, what's the spring clean for meetings? You know, because if you think news kills your mojo, Amantha, nothing kills my vibe and mojo <laughs> like like a meeting. Yes. And so I'm like, I know, I know they're a necessary evil, but how can I make them better? So the ritual reset was like, how do we, like, if you assume the world's changed, because it has, like, I, my working environment's completely different than it was, so how do I reset my rituals? And so what we said was, let's list all of our rituals. Which ones do we want to keep but tweak? Right, so they stay, that the purpose of the ritual still makes sense, but the way we're going to do it's different because we might be able to do it asynchronous or we might be able to do it online or we're going to do it in a different form because the world has changed. Which ones do we want to keep and they stay the same? I'll be honest, very few fell into that category. Like most, <laughs> and then which ones Which ones do we want to kill? Which ones just aren't required? We don't need them anymore, whatever. And maybe we use, a, we use the space, the time, the freedom to experiment and try something else. And it has been like, the most refreshing thing just to go, meetings don't own me anymore. I own them. <laughs> right? Oh, wow. That's cool. I think it was always true because humans book the meetings. So humans have always owned them, but we just let them dominate us. And that reset I've done with, with myself, but then with my team. And, and then what we've done is, is we're, we're genuinely using the free time it's given us either to invest in ourselves, which is crucial, or to go, how do we experiment with new stuff? Because you know what? The world's changed. And I don't know the answer. There isn't, I mean, you can Google best practice hybrid distributed teams and you'll get a hold of BS <laughs> articles. So don't do that. Don't do so that. Let's experiment our way out of it. And that in itself has been quite fun. Like, give me an example of a ritual or two that you've killed, maybe in relation to meetings. <laughs> There's a whole swath that got killed. Uh, so, I, uh, so, status updates. There's so many where we just gather in the office and, and it was just this an archaic ritual where we just gathered. And in certain days we gathered and never want to go through the updates. And I'm like, it was soul-destroying in the office, but at least we had tea, coffee, beer with each other. But when you're doing that from your from from wherever everyone's doing it from now, you're like, wow, this is really soul-destroying. So we're like, hang on. Not only is it soul-destroying, we're trying to do this synchronously. And we're, we're using people's like live time, which should be used for something more spontaneous or higher value. So how can we make all of our status updates asynchronous? And how can we make them consumable all around the world? So you don't have to physically be in the same place at the same time. Because I have colleagues literally all over the world. So how did you do that? What was what was the solution? Well, we, we, we actually started doing it, first of all, using just some of our existing tools. Um, and then realized that none of them worked. Um, for that purpose. So we built one. It's what we do at last year. And we're like, ah, oh, sod it. Let's just build one. And, and a team just kind of came together and we're like, let's solve this problem for the whole of it last year. How do we get the network of teams to communicate with each other asynchronously? And we're like, ooh, this, this sounds like a fun experiment. And so what you get is a 240 character limit. So it's like Twitter. And you do your update on a Friday and it kind of all gets funged together over the weekend. And on a Monday morning, you get a digest of all the projects you're following and you get the 240 character update. And if you want to dig in and find out more, you click through and you can read more. But what it means is I now don't have any status meetings, which I love. Wow. What I really enjoy is on that Monday morning, when I get that digest, I'm like, oh, that project's fine. That one's fine. That one's fine. I am not going to talk to you. I'm going to leave you alone to just do your work. That is cool. Now, is this product available to Atlassian customers or just listeners who might not be customers of Atlassian? Yeah, we've, we've put it out there as a, as a beta. I think it's out there as an alpha or a beta. It's pretty raw because um, we're still playing with it internally, but it, it will make it out there eventually because we, we're seeing more and more people talk about this, the network of teams effect. 
and how do we, this is not about project management, it's about project communication. Like how, how do, like Amantha, if me and you're working on discrete pieces of work, but they're going to connect together, how can we connect in a meaningful way so that I know what you're doing, you know what I'm doing, but we don't have to be in each other's pockets. Mm. So you're, you're autonomous and free to do your work, but you're connected in the areas where, where you need to. And it's, so far, it's been fascinating experiment. That's cool. Now, what's the link if people want to go check that out? Um, if they just Google Team Central, that's the, the working name for it right now. Okay. I, I'm going to share something that I, I think, I don't know if it's just a parenting hack for lockdown. We might, it might have broader application and you can tell me that. I've got my daughter 50% of the time. And one of the things that is exhausting about being a parent is that you say no a lot. And I feel like at the moment, just everyone says no a lot. Like the government is saying no to really most things. So I recently celebrated my uh, birthday in lockdown again for the second year running. And what I did for last birthday, and I repeated it again for this birthday, is I created with my daughter, Frankie, uh, a, an idea called the day of yes. And so ah. the, the rules are really simple. So how it works is that if we ask something of each other, the answer has to be yes. Mm. Like that's the rules. That's it. And what this means is you basically have a day without any friction. Because when you say yes to everything, it's really, really easy to have a really lovely day. And, you know, as a parent, my fear was, is Frankie just going to turn into a, a couch potato or a TV zombie um, mm. and, and literally not remove herself from the couch? And actually she didn't. So my screen time rules are quite strict in my house. So no screen, let's, um, you know, virtual school aside, no screen or TV, let's say, happens before four o'clock. And that is just a blanket yeah. rule. And, and, and so therefore Frankie loves TV time. And interestingly, she was... Um, she she kind of she she watched more TV than normal, but she was able to self regulate and she didn't yeah. spend the whole day watching TV, which I also found like quite interesting. Well, also given given your background and sort of field of, of education and research, essentially the, the yes game is involving a huge amount of trust, and the mm. no game requires no trust. So it's, <laughs> so it's a very very different engagement model. Oh, that's so true. So true. Um, tell me what what else is working for you. So a little, little fun hack that me and my uh, me and my, my girlfriend are doing. So as context, we, we've been dating for about a year. Uh, Rebecca moved in kind of uh, March, April time. And so we had a, a couple of months of like semi-normal life, like still not able to leave the state, the country, or do anything much, but we could still go out to bars, cafes, restaurants, whatever, and, and then lockdown here. And I was like, we were meant to be going for three weeks in Perth and we were gutted about not being able to travel. There's a whole lot of stuff that just kind of, it was about to get us down. And I'm like, no, no. Like I know a lot is out of our control, but let's find out the things we can do. So once a week, we have treat day. And it's not like going out for dinner treat day. It's like stupid, geeky treat day. So a couple of Sundays ago, um, I set up a, a picnic on the balcony. Um, we we had, I moved all the plants around so it looked like we are in a, in a vineyard. Um, I found out the, the, the person who would have been playing at the vineyard we would have gone to found their Spotify playlist, put that on. I got some Western Australian wines from the bottle shop. And we sat and we had a picnic. On a Sunday oh, afternoon. Wow. Um, we did Christmas in July <clears throat> the other week. I did pigs in blankets and a big roast turkey. And we had to put the Christmas tree up and sang Christmas songs all day. It was ridiculous. Oh. Um, you know, l- last week we had posh dinner. So I put my three-piece suit on. She got all dressed up and did her hair, right? And, 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 and we made sort of fancy food and pretended we were in a fine dining restaurant. 
right? And it's it's all cheesy, but it's it's like a little bit of creativity, and it's what can you do with what you've got in the house? But it's just a break from this mundane. Like it's easy, like your music, it's easy to feel down in this mundane. And I'm like, we can, we can sit and wallow and fester if we want, which we can do six days a week, and then one day a week, let's just do something completely stupid and random and fun, right? So we've now got a backlog of like once a week treats that we're going to try, and they 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 sort of vary from the crazy to the stupid, but the common thread throughout them all is they're going to be fun, right? It's going to be cheesy, but it's going to be fun, and it's just a nice little treat just to sort of you know keep your keep your mind going and keep your mojo going. I love that. You know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of the book by the Heath brothers, The Power of Moments. Did you ever read that book, Dom? No. Oh, my gosh. That's some good lockdown reading for you, The Power of Moments. And they talk about this idea that we think that these memorable moments, because, like, I'm listening to what you're describing and I've also seen pictorial evidence on your Instagram account. and it's like they sound like really memorable moments. And how great is that, that we can actually create these memorable moments in lockdown? And what the book talks about is it, it thinks about this idea. We, we assume that these moments that stick in our memory in a good way are just kind of, they sort of, it's, it's random. Like we can't control these amazing moments. But the book actually talks about, well, you can, like you can construct and manufacture memorable moments. And I, I feel like that's what you're doing with Treat Day. Yeah, and it, it's also just it's a, a regular jolt or nudge for us just to go accept that there are constraints, accept that those correct constraints are suboptimal. We'd love to be traveling to the UK to visit family. There's lots of stuff we'd be willing to do. And you could spend all your time looking at what you can't do and just getting upset. And I'm like, but there's one thing we can do, right? We're in control of this bit of our destiny, so let's do the most with it. And no, it's not ideal. I'd rather be in Western Australia in the actual vineyard, but the next best thing is I'll go to the bottle shop around the corner, I'll get a few bottles of Western Australian wine, and we'll recreate the vineyard, right? And, and actually, sometimes those constraints almost make it more fun. Like, it's it's more silly. And, and it just reminds you, like, if, if you don't have a laugh every day or you find the thing to, to laugh about, you, you start to question what the point is. And, and I think we, we, we owe that to ourselves. Now, that kind of reminds me of something that I tried doing uh, this week. So uh, a guest that I've got coming up on the podcast in a few weeks' time is Josh Pitterman. And I'm not sure if you've come across him, Dom. I'm not sure if you're a musical theatre nut like me, Um, but he's playing Phantom in Phantom of the Opera. Obviously, he's not doing that right now because there is no theatre. No, I was going to say, we we have tickets for that, but they're not not much use anymore. No, no. (laughs) Yes, invalid until further notice. So Josh will be playing Phantom uh, at some stage and he's played Phantom on the West End and he's an amazing performer. And I mean, I, like I, I often, I often kind of go, look, you know, it's tough for everyone, but my gosh, it is tough for certain groups of people, and I think mm. that performers is, you know, one of those groups. And so I was asking him just about what are the rituals that that he has, and something he's got quite a few actually, but one that stuck with me is that every day he tries to do three acts of service. So yes. these are essentially like you know acts where he's serving someone else in a positive way. It might be a small thing, like it might be I'm going to smile at someone that I don't know on the street or I'm going to do this particular thing for my partner. And as simple as that sounds, I heard that tip and it just and I thought I'm going to try that today because I felt like I'd been really sort of insular and just in my own head and just in a bit of a funk for the last few days. And, and I found that it was such a great way. Like I ended up doing 
a few small acts of service that were very small, like, you know, a friend of mine has been struggling and I feel like I haven't been there for them enough. And I just, I left them an audio message on their phone just saying, hey, I'm thinking of you and I'd love to do something to help and please let me know what that is. And I realized I hadn't really asked that. And and what I found is that doing the act of service, it took me out of myself and it took me out of my own head and it made me focus on something else that was not myself. And And as simple as that sounds, I found that uh, just really powerful. Yeah, it's it's huge. Actually. It it kind of reminds me slightly. We um we had a situation with again in in work. There's a lot of people ask kind of coaching, mentoring, working with some of our leaders who, despite great intent, were really struggling through through all stages of the pandemic. Were struggling to connect with their people, and and what we boiled it down to was we had a whole lot of people that had the desire to show empathy. Um, they just didn't really know how. Um, they understood the construct of empathy. They'd read an article, a book, whatever, and, and, and sort of intelligently they, they, they understood it. But the actual practice of, of how do you demonstrate empathy, that's that's what they were struggling with. And, and, and what we found was that the default was this, and you've heard the phrase, yeah, we're all in the same boat. You know, this realization that we might all be in the same storm, but we're in very different boats. <laughs> we're experiencing, we're all experiencing this in a very different and, and almost unique way. And so we built a very simple exercise. It, it was it was so liberating for our, for a lot of our people to go. Here's an exercise you can do with your people just to understand, like base level. How do you gain an understanding of the situation each individual that you're working with is, is going through? And, and in typical Atlassian fashion, we made it like a scoring system. But <laughs> but just having that conversation opened up so much simplicity to going. Oh, like none of us can see the chaos behind the camera. And so what we do is we fill in the blanks with our own assumptions. And when we do that, it's really dangerous because our own assumptions are normally based off our experience and our world. And so we just said, like, in the next, whatever, next two or three weeks, whenever we're having a meeting, team meeting, whatever, just cover out X amount of time and have the conversation. What is each person's experience? Let them share their experience of, of working from home, which was a combination of their work from home setup, you know, care responsibilities. Have they got a, a home office? What kind of setup have they got? How, how distracted are they? Um, what their social network and, and their work network was like. So we found that like newer Atlassians just haven't got the same networks that, and I'm super privileged, I've got eight years. I've got networks that they haven't got, but I've, I've got to meet these people. So what, what your network was like and then the nature of your role. Is your role one that can be done in isolation? Are you quite independent? Or is your role one that's reliant on a whole lot of people? In which case, you're probably experiencing hell right now, right? Because you're doing the same job, but it's infinitely harder. And just getting that understanding from our teammates was this, this great superpower of going, oh, well, now I know that's the situation. I'm actually, I'm better informed on how I can help you. It's no longer just an intent to help. I can actually help because I understand your situation. And that's been a massive shift for us from this, this almost like um, desire and intent to help, but not knowing how and feeling super blocked and therefore guessing and getting it wrong to going, we don't have to guess. All you have to do is ask. Right, just as you've explained, you'd have to guess and turn up with a bowl full of food and they're like, I don't need food, I need a hug, or I don't need a hug, I need a chat. And you're like, oh, I just guessed, right? Well, don't guess, just ask and listen. And suddenly we can start to tailor our solutions to help people in a genuine fashion. Are there a list of specific questions that you work through to get to that point of understanding or empathy? How does it how does it like actually work? Yeah, it's 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 basically um three questions or three three headers. Um, and each of them are a two by two. And you just plot yourself. 
on the two by two, right? So, so the first two by two is your work from home situation. So it's your care responsibilities on one axis um, and your um, your work from home setup on the other, right? So you know, for me, I have no care responsibilities and I have a dedicated space, right, where I get to work. So I'm, I'm the easy quadrant, right, on the work from home thing, right? My colleague, Eugene, who you won't mind me mentioning this, uh, both him and his wife work full time and they've got two kids and the homeschooling. Right, and they've not got a spare room. So he's in like the complete opposite quadrant to me. The thing is, when I'm on a Zoom call with Eugene, I can't see that. Because Eugene's really clever, right? He positions himself whereby he looks like it's just me and him. But what I can't see is the utter chaos <laughs> going on around Eugene that he's juggling. So when we have that chat, you're like, oh, okay, how can we better work together? Because you, you've been distracted by 50 things every time we talk. I, I'm going to think you're not concentrating, but you are. So so we actually had a very purposeful conversation. How do we work better together so that you can be present and effective? And what do those times look like? And then how do we structure this work? And so what, what we quickly realized was there was probably three or four hours worth of work um, a day that he needed to be online for where we wanted to work synchronously as a team, but the rest could be done asynchronous. So you're like, oh, you can do that whenever you want. So, you, so suddenly the construct of nine to five has gone away. And so we, you know, with different care options and responsibilities, you know, him and his partner have now managed to juggle it where they can both meaningfully, meaningfully contribute to work. They can homeschool and they, they don't want to kill each other, right? And so you're like, oh, I would never have been able to guess at that without asking those questions. So that home setup, your social network, and then the nature of your role, we, we've actually published it. It's called the Work Life Impact Play. So it's, it's published um, online. Excellent. I'm going to link to that in the show notes. Okay, we'll be back in a moment with more tips, including Dom's design your week strategy and also how I have started nudging myself towards better behaviors. And if you're not connected with me on the socials, I'd love you to uh, reach out. I am on LinkedIn. Just search my name, Amantha Imba. I'm on Twitter at Amantha and on Instagram at Amantha I. So do reach out and say hi. I share a lot of content on those different channels and it'd be great to hear from you. Something else that I have been doing. So I I think I'm in the the fairly easy quadrant in terms of what you've described there because I do have a separate room that's my study and I do have help with homeschooling. But what I find is that when I leave my study and I go to the kitchen to take a break or make lunch or whatever I'm doing, what I found that I was getting into the habit of is, you know, my iPad or my phone would be with me during the break and I would like hop onto a news website, as I was saying, I, you know, just like many people have this news addiction. And, you know, I was kind of aware of this and aware that it was just the easy thing to do because my iPad was sitting on the bench where I'd take a break or eat food and I would just do that during breaks. And I, I remembered something that Matt Mullenweg, who's the co-founder of WordPress and Automatic and builds the software that about a third of the um, internet's websites are, are built on. Um, he talked about how something he did in his life, and, and this was an interview I had with him quite a few years ago now, is that he would just make small changes in his physical environment to nudge himself towards better behaviours. So, for example, on his bedside table, if he had the Kindle sitting on top of the phone, he was more likely to read a book. But if he had his phone sitting on top of his Kindle, he was more likely to scroll on his phone. And so what I started to do is I started to 
pack my iPad into a drawer, not take my phone with me for a break. And instead I would have like either, you know, some paper articles or a book that I was reading on the bench. So basically making it really easy to do something that would provide a more enriching break and making it just slightly more difficult to do something that would not be a particularly enriching break. And I found that 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 has been a really great way of building better habits that are better for my mental health without actually relying on willpower. Yeah, so it's, it's an interesting concept, right? I mean, the, the concept's been around for years around you purposely add friction to certain areas to to detract yourself and you remove friction from positive areas to encourage yourself, right? You know, back in the day, Google were famous for it when they, they instituted their three interview only rule. And uh, they said, if you want to add a fourth interview for a candidate, you have to get approval from the VP of talent. <laughs> and it was like, well, that seems like a lot of friction. They're like, yeah, because we don't want you to do the fourth interview. Like, you shouldn't need it. Like, get it done in three. And so they purposely added friction to the process, right? So there's lots of examples of that. Um, I, I, I've been I've been similar, but I think the problem I have with that is I have this amazing power of rationalization where every time I do anything remotely good, I congratulate myself. And whenever I do anything bad, <laughs> I, I choose to ignore it. Um, <laughs> one, of the, one of the things I've, I've had to do to kind of, in a very similar vein, but a little bit more, uh, a little bit more meta was design your week. So, so one of the things I realized a while ago was I was like, my weeks are happening to me. And whilst I, whilst I look back on them and go, yeah, it was all right or not too bad or I, I use generic phrases, I'm like, I, I feel like I need to take a little bit more ownership of my week. Similar to you, I want, you want to add in more positive things, remove the negatives. And so design your week was my way of saying, I can't just be opportunistic. I need, I need to plan for happiness. <laughs> and so um, what I do on a Friday afternoon is I reflect on the week that's gone and, and you know, whether it works in terms of a portfolio. Did I do the right amount of stuff for this week? Did I plant some seeds this week that are going to germinate and, and give me good value in a year's time? Did I nurture some existing seeds? Like, what did my mix of work look like? And then how did I mix my synchronous with asynchronous time? And how much did I invest in me? And, and so I asked myself those questions of a Friday afternoon, looking back at the week that's gone. Then I designed the week ahead. And so what that means is I prioritize certain things. So one of the first things I lock in now in my week ahead is my walks, my daily walks. So I, I go for a walk a couple of days a week with my girlfriend. I've got mates around the area who are in my five-kilometer radius, and we go for walks, and I lock those in, right? And it's not apologetic. I'm like, going to lock those in because that's synchronous time. That walk only works if that person is free, and I'm free, so we're going to do that then. And then I lock in other stuff. You've got dentists, doctors. You might have drop-off kids, pick-up kids. You lock all that stuff in. Then you go, right, what's my synchronous work time? And how do I agree that? What's my contract with my colleagues? You know, it's no point me being on you know, 9 till 12 if they're on 1 till 4, right? So what's our synchronous time? And, and what's the purposeful things we want to do in that synchronous time that's the highest value stuff for us to do together? And then how do I slot my asynchronous time around that? So for example, first thing this morning, me and my girlfriend went for a walk. I, I've got a, a morning's worth of, of work. From about 1 o'clock, we're going to sit on the balcony and read. Um, so I've got a book that I'm in the middle of. She's got a book she's in the middle of. And the reason we're doing that is she's in, in full-time study right now, and she's got a lecture between 4 p.m. that probably finishes about 8 p.m. So I'll work 4 to 8, hmm. right? But, but I'm not going to work 9 till 12 and 4 to 8 and not everything in between because then I've just stretched the day. So what I've done is I've broken down the day almost into modular components, and I mix and match them because I know Friday afternoon – the team I'm working with is actually online in the US. They're not going to be online Friday afternoon. So it doesn't matter that I'm reading. 
right? And it feels a bit weird the first time you do it because I'm like, I'm getting paid and I'm reading a really good John Grisham novel, right? <laughs> but I'm not because I'm going to work later, right? So it's balancing the books and using your body's energy and your balance and your, you know, I know you do a lot of work on chronotypes and stuff. It's like work out a schedule that works for you, but for so many knowledge workers, and I know this is a privilege for knowledge workers, it doesn't have to be nine to five, Monday to Friday, right? You can start to play around at the margins and that that design your week on purpose helps me get a little bit more balance. And then what I probably might do is add in your idea of how do I reduce the friction on the positive parts of that and maybe add a bit of friction to the negative parts. That sounds so good. Gosh, that that is inspiring me to just like read a book in the middle of the day. I still feel like I have guilt if I do that. With the guilt, the funny thing about the guilt, right, because you're, you're an exceptionally smart person, right? You're, you're a doctor, <laughs> right? Is, is, is the guilt is, is just a self-feeling. Mm. Right. So the weird thing is when I sit there and, and the first few times I did that, I did feel the guilt, but I'm like, no, no one's missing me. There's no one knocking on my door saying, where's the thing? I, I, I've, I've made sure I've delivered the things I need at the time I need to deliver them. And I'm still doing 40 plus hours a week. I'm, I'm still delivering the outcomes I need to do. All I've done is tweak the time and I feel better for it and I'm more effective. So what is it I'm actually feeling guilty about? Like, cause I didn't feel guilty on Saturday. I don't think it last year felt guilty on Saturday. <laughs> when I was working and they weren't paying me. <laughs> oh, I don't think they did. No. Now, I want to know, I'm interested in your approach to social media because I found for me, I'm not normally a big social media person, but I've recently got back on Instagram after a several year hiatus and I, and I had my reasons for getting back on. It wasn't just I felt tempted, but I found that, it's so easy. Like I remember now why I quit Instagram because it's so easy to get into an Instagram black hole. And and basically, you know, like really the only things that are being shared by people, aside from funny memes, which is great, like people are either angry, sad, or they're smug. And none of those things are very helpful. Except for you, Dom, you share wonderful um, images of your cooking, which makes me hungry. But so what I'm trying to do now is I know that, you know, on the phone, you can lock yourself out of social media, but something I do, I've, I've got an Apple watch and probably the feature I use most on the watch other than checking the time uh, is the timer. So I will now set a five minute timer if I open up the Instagram app yeah. and it just jolts me out of that black hole. And then it's a conscious decision after five minutes to go, I'm going to keep scrolling because this is like being playing a positive role in my mental health. Uh, mm. And if it's not, then I'm sort of jolted out enough to go, no, actually, I'm going to stop that and I'm going to go back to reading a book or, you know, something a bit more productive. Now, Dom, is there is there anything else that, that you have been trying that has um, had an impact on you uh, during lockdown? Yeah, there's, there's there's probably about a million other. There's, there's one other, and this isn't a shameless plug, but it'll seem like it. Um <laughs> Yeah, you, you know, in my, in my TED talk, I talk about the balance of, of happiness, right? And uh, I think that it's become more profound for me in the last year or so that, that I do believe we own our own happiness, despite all the constraints, right? Regardless of the constraints around us. But I have a concern that we've, we've massively over-indexed. And I've shared this with you before, is that, that the work part of us, the, the bit that, that gains productivity or profit, I think we've over-indexed on. And I believe we've under-indexed on the other massively important parts of our life around people, which is our, our kind of family and, and society and the connections, whether they're physical or, or virtual connections we have with the, with family and community around us, uh, with the planet. So around how we think about our carbon footprint and how we live our life, uh, uh, you know, given the, the resources we've got around us and how we don't abuse them and, and build a sustainable way of living life. Um, and then purpose, like 
like just to, to, not the simple questions. It sounds like a very simple question, but like, wh- why do I do what I do? And, and what's the long-term impact I want to have? And, and for me, you know, it's a constant reminder, even though I've talked about this a lot, it's a constant reminder. I've still not built the muscle, which is why I always go back to it, which is, am I balanced? And if I'm not balanced, what actions can I take to, to true up my balance? And, and I think for, for me in the last year or so, the amount of, of BS articles about, you know, um, while you're in lockdown, you should be learning new skills. And if you don't come out of lockdown with a new blah, blah, I'm like, have a bit more empathy for the, the experience people are having. And maybe people just want to be balanced. Maybe doing a little bit less. And I know you've done like the four-day week experiment and stuff. Maybe spending a little bit less time doubling down on work, doing enough, but, but, but actually spending more time with your family and, and community and society and, or more time on the planet and, and, and leaving a legacy or, or your impact, right, your purpose, maybe that will give us more happiness. And, and I just think we owe it to ourselves. You know, I, I like to talk about the phrase, like, treat yourself kindly. And people get that, but I don't think they know how to. So I'm like, all right, if you want to treat yourself kindly, give yourself a score on these four things, productivity, people, planet, and purpose. And then where you're struggling – pick an action to improve it like, and, and just give it a red hot go. And I think you know, the, when we realize we've all got the same 24 hours in a day, we've not all got the same constraints, but we've all got the same 24 hours in a day. I think it's beholden on us to find the things that we can do, not, not get overly carried away with the things that we can't. And so that's just, I, I use that as a constant anchor, a positive anchor to go, where am I at? And, and what can I do to strike more balance? And, and there's a lot of that that is out of my control, um, but there's also a fair bit that's within my control. I love that. I'm going to link to your TED Talk, which is brilliant, uh, in in the show notes. I recommend that everyone watch that. Now, for for listeners that want to connect with you in some way, Dom, after hearing your um, absolute gems, what's the best way for people to do that? Um, I mean, anyway, the, a lot of the assets that we create through Atlassian, any hacks or experiments we do at Atlassian are on our team playbook, which you can look at. I've got my own website now, domprice.me, where you can get a lot of my content. Um, or on LinkedIn, all the normal stuff. And and actually, for any of those things, I, I always think there's a weird barrier to people reaching out. Um, assume that barrier is not there. I, I reply to virtually every, or certainly most decent LinkedIn. When you're trying to sell me something, I tend not to reply. But most genuine LinkedIn connections, I, li- I like to have a conversation. If people have got questions or queries or want to challenge me or something or even share their own ideas, I think I think we've got way more to give to the community if we stop trying to sell to each other. So any of those, any of those forums. Fantastic. Dom, I've loved this chat. I'm so glad that we could catch up during lockdown. Um, and uh, I'm just, I'm really excited to share this. Hey, so I hope that this episode was useful and I hope that you're walking away from it with at least one thing that you can try that will hopefully lift your mood or make life suck a little bit less right now. And if you are not a subscriber or follower of How I Work, hit subscribe or follow and you will be alerted whenever new episodes drop. And I've got a very exciting chat that I'm releasing next week with Ronnie Khan, who is the founder and CEO of Oz Harvest. And we will be talking about where she gets her best ideas from and also what to do with all the food in your fridge that is about to go off. How I Work is produced by Inventium with production support from Deadset Studios. And thank you to Martin Imber, who does the audio mix for every episode and makes everything sound better than it would have otherwise. See you next time.